Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in 1 Peter today. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks this morning for this Ash Wednesday, for this day where we face the reality, Lord, of death, that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. But Lord, we can face this with great hope and confidence, for we know that Jesus Christ has conquered the grave, and that hope has been established for us through his resurrection. We pray today, Lord, that as we hear of this hope, you would strengthen and empower us to be bold in sharing this hope with the world that so desperately needs to hear it. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. So there you are. You have walked onto an elevator, and as the doors close, one other person rushes in and stands next to you. And as the doors close, you are going, and it's a very tall building, you are going up roughly 22 floors. And as the door closes, the person looks at you and they go, you know, you kind of smell like a Christian. I've got a question for you. Can you, in 22 floors, tell me what it is that you believe? In 22 floors, I'm getting off. So tell me, what is it that gives you faith? What do you believe? 22 floors, what do you say? How do you respond uh, to this person who is asking for the elevator speech about your faith? How do you respond? You're going to want to respond in a way that uh, helps you proclaim the message of Jesus Christ and that gives them some level of hope, and yet you want to say it in a way that entices them and wants them to come back for more. What do you say in that moment? Now, it is quite unlikely that you and I are going to a 22-story building and going to have this happen to us anytime soon. However, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be praying for the opportunity, right? We should be praying for the chance to share our faith. We should be looking for every possible opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it. In fact, we heard this in our reading from Peter today, where Peter tells us that we are always to be prepared to share our faith. This is what he says. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you prepared to make a defense of your faith? Are you prepared to share the good news of Jesus Christ and make this good confession at any moment, even in the elevator? Are you prepared? Well, I don't know uh, the answer to that question for you today, but what I do know is that what we are going to be doing now for the Lenten season is we're going to try and help you with this. Our goal here over the next number of weeks is, is to help you sort of craft a sentence that you can share with somebody to help get them thinking about the gospel. We're kind of helping you construct the elevator speech of, of an evangelistic conversation. So what we want to do is help you uh, develop a sentence that is roughly seven words long, the gospel in seven words, so that you can quickly share this with somebody. It will stick in their heads and perhaps make them want to come back for more. Now, it's not an easy thing. Don't make it too easy on yourself here. There might be some work that needs to go into this. You have to think about a lot, of, a lot of things. What are people struggling with in the world right now? What are their sins? What are they afraid of? What's happening in their lives that they need to hear this good news? 
What has Jesus done on the cross and in his resurrection for them? And sometimes we get at that answer by asking ourselves the same question. What has Jesus done on the cross and in his resurrection for me? And how does that give hope? How does that bring joy into the lives of people? And so what we're going to do is every week, we're going to give you a pair of words. A pair of words for you to think about uh, that will help you perhaps construct this sentence. Maybe you need to come up with a few sentences for people in different situations. But we're going to go through a bunch of different scenarios and a different words uh, that we'll put together to help you start thinking through how you might share your faith in seven words or less. Now, uh, starting next week, I believe, we're going to have little uh, notebooks here for you. So grab one of these notebooks and do some work throughout the week. When you go to bed at night, do your devotions and write down some thoughts. Start working on sentences, things you might be able to say. Start thinking about people in your life and praying for them. And what could you say to them that would really get them thinking about the gospel? I'm very excited for this Lenten series, and I really hope you guys uh, participate in it with us and, and make this a part uh, of your Lenten discipline this year. But as we get into it today, uh, I have the first set of words that I'm going to present to you today, and I think these are very appropriate words for us, as it is, after all, Ash Wednesday. And the words I have to share with you today are despair and hope. Despair and hope. Very good words for Ash Wednesday. Because Ash Wednesday is that strange calendar day in the church year where we remember and focus on and discuss something we don't really like to talk about at all, but we talk about death. We talk about the consequence of our sin. And we put ash on our foreheads and remind us that we are from dust, and to dust we shall return. And nothing brings these ideas of despair and hope into sharper contrast than the reality of death. Can you think, after all, let's think about despair first. Can you think of more despairing words that you hear in this sanctuary all year than these words, from dust you come and to dust you shall return? These are the words that remind us of the curse that was placed upon Adam after our father had brought, us, brought sin into this creation and introduced death to all of us. This is the curse of God. You will return to the dust from whence you came. Nobody captures the despair of these words better than King Solomon in the Old Testament in his book of Ecclesiastes. Listen to how he appropriates these words. This is what Solomon says. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. That's in your Bible. Solomon says that. This is the word of God. This isn't Friedrich Nietzsche or one of the new atheists, or this isn't Darwin describing the way the world works. No, this is King Solomon, the son of David, describing what he observes in this world, describing what he sees, as he calls it, in life under the sun. 
You know, if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, you'll hear that phrase a lot, life under the sun. This is what I saw taking place under the sun. And what Solomon is doing in this book is he, sh- he is showing us what life is like, you know, apart from God. He's giving us a perspective from under the sun, not above the sun. He's not giving us a heavenly perspective, but an earthly one. And as he looks out on life without God in view, what does he find? That everything is meaningless. We know the refrain, right? Vanity, vanity. We, like the beasts, will die. So what do we do with this? Solomon says, well, eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. You may as well enjoy your life now. He says this, I saw that there's nothing better than that man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. And who can bring him to see what will be after him? So, you know, that's what you got. Enjoy work while you can, because you're going to die soon. Amen. Thanks for that one. You know, jeez. Now, this is, a, this is an utterly despairing prospect that Solomon lays out for us, and it, and it really opens our eyes and makes us think a little bit. But when Solomon says that we, like the animals, are just going to return to the dust, this is, this is a cause for despair. And yet we've gotten to the point now, I'm afraid, in our society where we've begun to actually celebrate these sort of things. Isaiah said we would live in a day where we call evil good and good evil, and we have certainly found that day now when we sing songs and make them sound like hymns. Uh, Like, we've we've talked about this recently, uh, but like John Lennon's hymn, uh, Imagine, right? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And he try and make that sort of thing sound inspiring. Live for today. What's the phrase? Seize the day. Mark off all the things on your bucket list because this life is all you got. You better live it to the fullest now. You better enjoy what you do now because after this, nothing. And that is, you know, we try and make it sound exciting and thrilling. You got one life to live, you know. But if that's all we've got, There's cause for utter despair because there is no hope. Because if your life is up to you to create, if it is up to you to create a perfect life for yourself with perfect relationships and nothing but joy and happiness, and if it's up to you to sort of get rid of all of that shame and guilt that hangs on you from the past, from your sins, although in our day and age we don't call them sins, they're just mistakes, you know. Uh, We can't seem to shake the guilt and shame from those mistakes because it's up to us now. What are we to do? I mean, sure, we could just sort of seize the day and, you know, live like what was last night, Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, make every day a Fat Tuesday, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die, but you know that if you go out like that, you're going to die a lot sooner. Eat, drink, and be merry might be fun like when you're in your 20s. (laughs) I'm about to turn 40. I don't think it's as fun anymore. Not that I do it all the time, but what I'm saying is it hurts in the morning, you know. Uh, so it's not as joyful. It hurts your liver. Sends you to the hospital sooner. And then we're told, as by Solomon, so since you don't know what's coming up next, you may as well enjoy the work you have. But yeah, right. You know what it's like to get up in the morning and say, not again. Do I really have to go in again? I mean, sometimes I love work, and some days I don't love work so much. It's hard. It's toilsome. It's burdensome, and if it's up to me to make sure I enjoy every single day, that can be crushing. 
Further, I can't seem to stop feeling bad about my mistakes. I can't seem to fix my relationships. Things are just falling apart. And if this life is all I've got, I'm ruining it. All hope is gone. This is why I think we see suicide rates on the rise. Dante's seven-word description of hell seems to describe many people's lives now. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. If this is all there is, if all we've got is the here and now, and it's up to me, and I'm failing, what's the point? The whole thing is vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Ash on the forehead is all you've got. So this is the sort of world we're dealing with right now, and this is the world we're going into, and we're going to need something a little bit more, I'm afraid, uh, than a mere seven words, though that's a good start. What we need into this world of despair, what we need, I should say, in this world of despair, is a miracle. We need somebody with a perspective that comes not just from under the sun, not just from under heaven, but, be, but can come to us from heaven. And tell us how we are to view these things. We are in need of somebody who can come down from heaven and give to us some level of hope. And this is why Jesus Christ brings to us a better word and a more hopeful word than John Lennon. And St. Paul picks up on this beautifully in 1 Corinthians. Paul, uh, as he writes to the Corinthians in chapter 15 of that book, talks about the one thing that can bring us hope. Paul, you almost think he's reading Ecclesiastes at the time because he's answering all of the despair that we find in this world. And Paul says there is one answer to the vanity of Ecclesiastes, the vanity of death. And that answer is the risen one, Jesus Christ. Paul picks up on Solomon's theme when he says, if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people to be most pitied. And he says later, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If Jesus is dead somewhere, says Paul, we will be too. But then he goes on, because Paul cannot let go of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will not let go of Paul. And he begins to say words that fill us with nothing but hope and joy and faith. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Or as we sing in the great Easter hymn, Christ is arisen and we shall arise. Christ is risen from the dead and he has conquered the grave. He has conquered despair. And it's not as though Jesus just dismissed despair, that he didn't do anything about it. Jesus stared despair right in the eyes when he went to the cross on Good Friday. And there he was in the most despairing moment anyone can possibly imagine as he suffered the pains of God's wrath and hell on the cross, crying out that despairing phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there Jesus entered into despair, only to conquer, only to defeat it. Death is swallowed up in victory. As on Easter morning, which we will get to in roughly 40 days. No, there's a lot more than 40, but my math is never good. We move on. Uh, but Jesus, here on Easter morning, will walk out of the tomb alive. 
conquering that thing that brings us despair, conquering death, swallowing it up in victory and leaving it behind so that now for you and I who are in Christ Jesus, we need not fear death, we need not be despairing of death, for we know that death is temporary. A mere blessed sleep from which we will awake and enter into the presence of our God and his love and his joy for all of eternity. And this fills us and it drives us with hope. Hope for what Christ has done for us. This is a resurrection that does not depend on you. On you fixing your life. It doesn't depend on you accomplishing all that you want to accomplish. It doesn't depend on you marking off all the things on your religious bucket list. No, it depends on him. And he is risen and he has done it for you. And now lest you think that this is just some sort of pie-in-the-sky idea that's going to draw us out of this world and get us focused only on heaven so we don't think about the things going on around us anymore, quite the opposite is the case. St. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to say this, that death is swallowed up in victory, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain that what you are doing now in the name of jesus christ has eternal implications that you don't have to seize the day any longer but rather instead of seizing the day you can embrace this world with the love of jesus christ and live your lives pouring yourself out knowing that no matter what may come towards you no matter what you may suffer or experience you do all of it to the glory of god And you will experience that glory when he raises you up on the last day. You can lay it all on the line and sacrifice everything for the sake of those you love. Because you know that in Jesus Christ, you have a resurrection and an eternal life to look forward to. So that's why as we leave here today, we leave here rejoicing in the hope of life and not despairing over our death. And so as you leave the sanctuary today, you will see there the baptismal font is open with water in it and a little rag. And you take that little rag, and I want you to dip in the font of the baptismal font there and to wipe the ashes off your forehead. Because you and I, as baptized children of of God, we do not bear on us the marks of death, but we bear in us the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so we leave here not moaning over our death, but rejoicing in the life that is ours, the life that was granted to us in baptism when you were crucified and raised to a new life with Jesus Christ. You leave here bearing the life of Christ and shining with his light in this world to bring hope into the life of everybody who needs to know So that's what you leave here with today. This hope that is yours in Jesus Christ and with the question, who do you know who needs that hope? Who do you know who is in despair and needs to know that there is a God who has created them, who loves them, has redeemed them, and has promised them everlasting life? Who needs to hear these seven simple words that Jesus Christ is your hope beyond despair? Amen. Father, we give you thanks for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that through him you have defeated death and promised us life in your name.
Lord, our, our hope is built on this, and so may our lives be driven by this hope so others might come to rejoice in the glory we have in you. Now grant us your spirit and guide us according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We sing the fourth verse of